Hello everyone and welcome to Picture the Scene podcast hosted by me Andrew and me Rachel. Please note today's topic could find elements that some listeners could find disturbing so listener caution is advised. So how's it going today Rach? Are you ready for some true crime? I am and I'd just like to say congratulations to Picture the Scene on their fifth episode. How exciting. It's mega. Yes, yes, you're gonna have to start get used to saying hour, but yes. Um, I know, I know. That I just said the because I, I felt like then the spotlight wasn't on me. And it's it is all your work, but yeah. Big big work. milestone, I feel. Yes, it is good. And I was thinking about that's two and a half months so far already, and it's unless my maths is terrible, but it's around two months anyway. It's yeah, it's not bad. No, absolutely. Um and it's flown by. It'll be Christmas before we know it, and we'll be putting some sort of blood and gore on a Christmas story in no time. No doubt, yes, no doubt. So today, today's is a bit of a mystery, so it should be it should be interesting. I thought it was interesting. But before we get on today's episode, I want to give a shout out to those of you who reached out after the last episode to give feedback. Uh, it really does make our day when someone does that. So please do carry on doing that. If you'd like to let us know what you think, we can be found on all the usual social media platforms, we're at ScenePod on Instagram and Twitter. That's at S-C-E-N-E-P-O-D. Or you can find us on Facebook by searching for Picture of the Scene Podcast. I, and I've not put this in the scripts, but if you heard me talking about discussion group, I it is disappeared into the Facebook ether, maybe into the meta, so I don't know where it's gone. So don't try and find that because I can't even find it myself now. Um, so if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like all of you listening to relax. Close your eyes. And picture the scene. Today we're going to take you back to 1994, Saturday, April the 30th to be exact, in a small town of Woking, which is in the county of Surrey in the UK. It was a little after 9pm, 9.15 to be exact, and the temperature had dropped 3 degrees Celsius, or 5 degrees Fahrenheit, from 16 degrees Celsius to 13, or 60 to 55 degrees Fahrenheit from the previous hour. So a little bit of a drop, and the wind had also picked up from an average of 19 kilometers an hour to 22 kilometers an hour in the same time, making it the windiest part of the day. And this is probably explained because the sun had only just set 50 minutes previously. So what was a bright sunny spring day had turned into night, but with winter starting to become a distant memory, you'd probably find yourself accepting the cold as you know the warmth is on its way. And if you combine this with the fact the clocks had only gone forward a few weeks earlier, it wouldn't seem as late to you. So I know you said previously, Rachel, that pizza and wine are a staple of yours when it comes to the weekend. Yep. And and many and to many people, it's the same. It's an easy food to eat while you're enjoying the company of others. And it's a treat for many at the end of the week too. But unfortunately, like many things in life, when people want to commit a crime, they'll disguise their motives in many ways. And today's crime, will use pizza as a form of camouflage. Now, I'll let you know soon what I mean by that, but what I, what I don't mean is that we don't have a person or persons dressed as giant pizza committing crime, unfortunately, because <laughs> that would be quite cool. Thanks for clarifying that. Really yeah. appreciate the disclaimer. Um, but I just wanted to add here um, that, strangely, my eldest brother lived in Woking in the mid-90s, not 94, <laughs> 
um, definitely wasn't the murderer because he was still okay. at university. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he lived in a village of um, wow. working for a little while and then moved to a place called Godalm- Godalming, which isn't wow. too far away. Um, but beautiful little countryside. And I was really intrigued that a murder had taken place here because it's so, like quaint and picturesque i remember visiting him often um when i was um very young so so yeah very surprised about a murder in the village i know and and especially well to all you listening yes we are going to talk about murder today but um (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) okay but um but yes for all you listening it's um it's quite a strange one as well isn't it so so not only is it a a nice little place it's it's quite an unusual crime what more could you want for a saturday night uh, exactly. a pizza and a bit of murder why yes exactly so uh, don't make me laugh rachel <laughs> uh, let me introduce you to karen reed karen was a 33 year old woman who at the time had a sister living with her and she was single she was reported to be kind gentle loving and very intelligent uh, who didn't have any enemies in her life. She was a geophysicist who analyzed seismic data for a living. So she wasn't in the type of job you'd expect that could cause confrontations or unhappy people. And as mentioned, as we just heard from Rachel, she lived in Woking in a semi-detached house on a Barnsbury estate that compromised her flats, masonettes. Uh, masonette is a duplex to our American listeners and houses. Private and social housing were mixed together on the established estate and Karen's house overlooked a field on the edge of the estate and was a corner house. Uh, it was a relatively quiet area at the time. And it wasn't anything unique. There's hundreds of estates around the UK very similar to this one. So on that Saturday evening in April, she was enjoying the company of a good friend over a few glasses of wine and... And while I'm taking a wild guess here, I can only assume she was doing what most people do in that situation, especially before the internet. She was enjoying conversation with a friend and talking about each other's lives and what was happening in her own particular bits of the world. So it's a quarter past nine on Saturday, the 30th of April. And Karen was with her friend drinking white wine, enjoying each other's company. And it was at 31 with away and walking when a doorbell rang. As you would do so, And Karen did also. She got up and answered the door. When she answered the door, her door was on the side of her house and in front of it was a concrete driveway and the road would have been an easy sight. When answering the door, she would have seen a piece of delivery guy. He was tall, dark haired, wore glasses and was holding a blue and white piece of delivery box. And we have a sketch of him. I'll pop it up on our various social media channels. Now, Karen did what we all would do if a, food deliv- if a food delivery person turned up on your door and you hadn't ordered anything. She politely told him that she hadn't ordered anything. So he then, again, a very typical thing here, he then asked her to confirm her address. And she did, 31 went away. And as soon as she did, it was bam, he shot her five times in the head. Now, an ambulance was called, but sadly, but not unsurprisingly, she was declared dead on the scene. So why did she die? She was a quiet, well-loved and caring, good person. Why would she be executed on her doorstep? Could it be a random killing? Do you think it is a random killing? I mean, it seems pretty random. But can I just say, 
like like who who wouldn't just take a pizza that is delivered to their doorstep on a Saturday night especially if they've had a couple of glasses of wine you know I know it could be my neighbors but I'm gonna have it because I'm hungry and yeah. there's a tall, dark-haired guy delivering pizza to my doorstep. Yes, please. Thank you. Bye. I know. It, it does sound like a mid-90s porn film as well, doesn't it? Well, you probably don't know what it is, <laughs> yeah. but it does, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was a teenager in the mid-90s. Forgive me. Now, <laughs> um, where am I? As rare as they are, random doorstep killings do happen. But on this occasion, I think we can firmly say that this killing was not random, that it was calculated and planned. But why can we say this? Well, to start with, the killer was in disguise as a pizza delivery man, but it does go further than that. Two weeks earlier to the shooting, the police believed the killer was on his way to kill that day. They think this because two weeks earlier, the police spotted a car acting suspiciously in the walking area, so they pursued it. Now, the car they spotted was a red Vauxhall Cavalier, and during the pursuit, the driver of the Cavalier abandoned the car and ran off, I'm just going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. When I was writing this, I, and I wrote this because the police said they saw a car acting suspiciously. How exactly does a car act suspiciously? Does it, <laughs> does it like hide behind trees when it sees the police or something? I, I, that's, that's all I had in my mind. How does a car act suspiciously? I'm, I'm sure there is a way. Um, but yes. No, so, I, that will tickle me for the remainder of the evening. Good. Right. When... When the police officers who had followed the car examined it afterwards, they found a black bag, a large handled commando style knife in a black leather sheath, and quite a rare only blue tartan cap, an automatic pistol with silencer, and tellingly a map that was marked with the Barnsbury estate. Now that would indicate to me anyway that the killer wasn't local, and we'll touch on that later. later. <laughs> that would indicate that the killer wasn't local, and we'll touch on that later, but also was in fact targeting Karen or her, or her household, because why else would you have a map and a gun and a silencer? So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go off on a brief tangent here. I'm not sure. Have you seen the um, the Bamba murders on Sky? No. Have you Have you heard about? The yeah, yeah, I know the I know. Yeah. Um, there's a group of people think he did it, and there's a group of people think his sister did it, but I don't oh, yeah. know a huge amount about the crime. Well, um, there's a brilliant documentary on Sky Documentaries at the minute um, that I'm sure will go up on the internet at some stage, but it basically runs through... I think he's made some sort of appeal in recent years, and that's why they've gone into... Um, Louis Theroux has actually directed it or has had some involvement in it, so you can tell by that that it's it's really well written. But um, she... So this gun had a silencer on it, and the only reason... The, the the sister didn't get all the blame um even though the brother did a great job of portraying that his sister had gone mad and shot them all um they found the silencer underneath the stairs and the apparently when the silencer was attached to the shotgun the shotgun was too far down the sister's body for her to have been able to shoot herself but add to that the fact that her blood was found inside the silencer and I am not a crime scene analyst, an, 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 analyst, um, but like even I, I don't understand how these people in this Facebook group that are pro Jeremy Bamber um, and the fact that he didn't shoot them can 
comprehend how his sister's blood from the wound is inside the silencer and yet she still managed to shoot herself and then the silencer ended up in, underneath his tear cupboard like it baffles me human beings yeah, yeah i can't yeah i can't really i i know very little so i'm not going to comment on that i do know that people no. get very angry about it online so i'll probably better i um i'll probably best i don't have an opinion on it so we don't alienate <laughs> all, all five of our listeners but um oh but yeah, in, that, uh, in that case in that case scrap all of that conversation just no, no, delete no. it i don't want to don't want to upset I, anyone we'll leave that in and if either of our listeners are listening that, then please don't take offense <laughs> you've become a part-time comedian tonight i am a part-time comedian when i can say my words so um so yeah i'll put the i'm sorry if we keep going off on a tangent tonight to those listening to us, but bear with us. We're getting there. So I'll I'll put all of these items that I've just mentioned, the uh, pictures of the black bag, the commando style knife with sheath, the cap, and a pistol or silencer um, up on our social medias after I publish this episode later on tonight. And um, I said so, but I did send them on to you when I sent you the scripts, Rachel. Um, so I think it's probably fair that these two things are linked, don't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like I say, working's a really like, sleepy little town kind of thing so it would be very unusual like the police have targeted a car acting suspiciously not a person and then um this like random but brutal killing on a doorstep in um you know essentially just a couple of meters down from a road it yeah seems seems to me it's a pretty simple case they're connected yeah so at this time at the time this happened they did conduct some investigations but they couldn't determine anything more than what they found in the car. So they couldn't really follow it up. But after Karen's death, the police understandably took the incident quite seriously with the style of the killing and also the fact of what they'd found two weeks previously that indicated it was undertaken by professional. In fact, they ended up undertaking one of Surrey's largest scale Made an investigation for this. It was called, it was called Operation Lilac, with over three thousand lines of inquiry being undertaken and over seventeen hundred statements being recorded. Their lines of inquiry took them all over the uh, country, including London, Essex, and Hertfordshire. Now, the police leading Operation Lilac quickly came to the conclusion, and they still believe this to this day, that the murder of Karen on her doorstep was a contract killing but it was also a case of mistaken identity. But before we get on to why they think it was a case of mistaken identity, I don't think it's a huge leap to think that this was a contract killing. The killer being able to get hold of two guns easily, because remember, they lost one gun firstly in the car, with silencers, disguising himself, and potentially not knowing the area because they had a map. And so that would indicate also that they don't know Karen, uh, because if you knew Karen, you knew where she lived. So... For this, I agree with the police. What about you, Rage? Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm on your side here. So I guess the question is, why did the police think it was a mistaken identity if the killer actually asked Karen to confirm her address prior to shooting her? He was in disguise as a pizza man. He could have just apologised and left to go to the right person to kill if it wasn't supposed to be that address, couldn't he? Um. Yeah, I just think... I, I just, do you know what confuses me though he, when he gets her to conf- confirm her address not her name like why he wouldn't say 
oh, can you, like, can you confirm the name on the order? I mean, I've never had a pizza randomly delivered to the wrong address, so I didn't actually know it was normal to then say, oh, is this such and such address? Um, but yeah, I would imagine with every order, there's a name given, and he just said, what's your name? But he probably just didn't give a shit as long as he got somebody killed, right? Well, possibly, but if you're thinking about it, she would have, she, she would have said, I didn't order a pizza. So he would have said, okay, sorry, what's your address? And then she confirmed yeah, the address. Yeah, because he, he doesn't care what her name is. He just yeah. He's just been given the address, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, don't laugh at me. Um, everything I'm about to say now is based on theory and educated guesses. Obviously, if the police had facts, they could make some arrests or at least get very close. But given they've publicly come out and said that, and then the subsequent actions they've taken, which I'll get onto, you've got to think, it has to be highly likely that they're correct. Mm. So if if you know the case, or if you don't, but I've looked it up afterwards, and I agree with what I'm about to say, or have another theory, then please, again, why don't you reach out and discuss it with us on one of our social medias? We're always happy to chat. Now, yeah, I feel... I feel a good theory. Exactly, we do love a good theory. Um, I do feel like I've built this up too much now, Rach. It's gonna be it's gonna be like that Christmas where you you dream of a new car or fancy holiday, and all you get is a Breville toasty maker instead. Um, do, do you know what though, Andrew? A Breville is quite a nice brand, so I'm not gonna say no to that. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, a Breville is uh, the Rolls Royce of Rolls Royce of toasty makers. Yeah, but but like you said, who who doesn't love a nice toasty? Exactly, exactly. That's why I'm. I mean, I prefer a holiday or a nice car, but yeah, yeah. toasty comes a close third. You, you could eat a toasty while driving to your holiday destination and then have another toasty. Could and do. It, and it's could just do. a win win. Um, so, <laughs> but who was the intended target if it wasn't supposed to be Karen? Well, the prevailing theory is that it was Karen's sister, Alison Ponting. <gasps> I know. Who happened to have moved in with Karen, but was out that evening. So it could be a case oh, of correct address, but wrong sister. Yeah, a few minutes probably um, one way to put it, yeah. So so this Here's is... the guy got paid. Yes. So this is why... So the why, sorry, the why now comes into play, which is a lot more interesting and important. Let me introduce you to two brothers, Ruslan and Nazarbeg Ustiev. Ruslan and Nazarbeg had arrived in London 18 months before Karen was killed, and they had gone to London as they were envoys of President Dudayev with a task to get passports and money printed for the newly formed Chechen Republic of Ichkiria, which had only formed a couple of years earlier. Rach, I'll edit this out, but why, why can I pronounce Russian names but not English words? I just, thought, I just thought to myself, I can't believe you just smashed that whole paragraph. Yeah. And yet there are other things, like the word but was confusing you before. Yeah, I know. it's um, Well done. Bravo. Honest, bravo. Yeah, I'll, I'll pat myself on the back later. So of the two brothers, Ruslan was a trusted advisor, possibly even the most trusted advisor of the president. In fact, he called himself the prime minister of the breakaway state, but the more accurate title would probably be deputy chairman of the ruling council. Now, his brother was more of a bodyguard type person. So obviously one with the brains and one with the brawn. <laughs> uh, the, so the brothers had also been tasked with the not so easy duty of securing a $250 million loan 
uh, negotiating the sale of the country's oil and also uh, buying 2,000 ground-to-air missiles. So, you know, it, it's just your usual shopping list when you visit London. <laughs> I, I'm not too sure what they'd find on Oxford Street, though. <laughs> good point, good point. Nice so, IKEA, a couple of Marks yes. and Spencers. Imagine IKEA ground to a missile, it would take you forever to put it together. Like, <laughs> you, you wouldn't want to be left with any bits either, would you, at the end? But, no. Um, so, the, the people are going to hate this episode, Rachel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the brothers knew they needed help, so they looked for an interpreter and an all-round fixer. When trying to figure out how to find one of, when trying to figure out how to find one, Ruslan remembered that he was once interviewed by a producer for the BBC World Service, who happened to be called Alison Pontin, who was Karen's sister. So you can probably see it coming together now. So Alison oh, saw an opportunity yeah. for her husband. Her husband was called Ter Ognayesan to get some employment. So she suggested him to the two brothers. Now, her husband was Armenian and was known for being a low-level criminal at times, but he was also known to have a job as a swimming pool attendant. So <laughs> so I don't think he was a criminal mastermind. <laughs> well, you never know. Yeah, it could be great. Slowly plotting the downfall of the world whilst, you know, making sure people are staying in the right swim lanes. Exactly. So the, the, the three men got on well at the start, but they would eventually fall out. Why isn't known? Some would say it was over money. Others would say it was because he found out the missiles were to eventually end up in Azerbaijan and be used against his home country in their war with Armenia. Whatever the reason. Is not as, as important as to what happened as a result of them falling out. Ter Ognayazan informed the Armenian KGB, who sent two people to go and meet with the brothers to convince them not to carry out with the deal for the missiles. And that sounds quite reasonable, you know, like KGB, I'll just, please don't do this. Um, but, so, Keep but they, yeah, they, they couldn't convince them, no. So the Armenian KGB hired a hitman, which sounds oh. more like the KGB, doesn't it? That- that escalated quickly. Yeah. Uh, and now the hitman's name was a shot that Mandizan from LA, who was also Armenian, uh, and he was sent to kill the two brothers. And as an aside, I think if you call a shot, then you've already got a great name to be an assassin, don't you? Do, do you know what? When I read this particular line, not only did I laugh out loud, but I also wanted to say this reminded me of the mega news reporting of Phil McCann, who was the BBC correspondent that was sent to cover the petrol shortages across the UK um, a couple of weeks ago. You're going to have to fill me in. I've no idea what you're talking about. Phil McCann. Oh, yes. Oh, that took me a moment then. Is that his real name? It, it was it, it was screenshotted and shared on social media. This guy's been waiting his whole life for this for this new story. <laughs> it was awesome. hilarious, but yeah, well done, a shot, brilliant. So the the two brothers ended up being killed in quite an horrific way. So probably no more laughing. But again, yeah. as always, unless it's vital to the story, I prefer not to include the graphic details. But if you do Google their names. Um, good luck spelling them, but if you do Google their names, you'll find out how they were killed. In fact, I'll put a link in the show notes. And the two <laughs> people, just to save you trying to Google the names, but and the two people arrest, were arrested for the murders. Um, Ter Ognayson and one of the two Armenian KGB operatives 
I can't pronounce his name and I have tried. I'm not even going to try uh, again, but I, I'm doing a disservice, but you can find it in the sources again if you want to give it a go yourself. Now, what seems like something out of a James Bond movie, several attempts were made during the trial to get snake venom to the two defendants so they could kill themselves. But at various stages, it was discovered. In the end, Alison's husband, so Karen's brother-in-law, ended up getting two life sentences and his co-defendant hung himself while awaiting trial. Now, at one stage, he is recorded, his co-defendant, that is, as having said to the police during the interview, the KGB will not forgive anyone. That's like, wow, you'd rather kill yourself than this being something happening to you by the KGB. Um, yeah. so, so obviously he believed he believed that because he chose death rather than imprisonment. So this is why the police believe the hitman was hired to kill Alison, not Karen, as it was. So this is why the police believed the hitman was hired to kill Alison, not Karen. And it was a case of mistaken identity. They believed this so much, actually, that very quickly afterwards, they moved Alison to the British equivalent of the Witness Protection Programme, where she has stayed ever since. Because she was moved into hiding, no one ever interviewed her. But I can't imagine the guilt she had to live with. Firstly, guilt by association that two men that died because of her husband, but they're much closer to home. Her innocent sister was killed because of her. Can you imagine that, Rach? Yeah, well, and so that that the first part of that is that her poor sister died but the second part of that is that they still didn't get the right killing so her life's at risk so she'll even though she's in witness protection she's always going to be looking over her shoulder and that's absolutely no way to live is it like you'd be paranoid that someone's gonna recognize a picture of you from school or or you know what however that looks you know an internet search unless you have like um, plastic surgery and and then you know Oh, yeah, it just doesn't even bear thinking about. I know. So, Detective... So, in March, this, in March of this year, 27 years later, the police launched a fresh, fresh appeal featuring a crime on Crime Watch Live and also offering a £10,000 reward for, the, for information that would lead to an arrest for Karen's murder. So, if you do have any doubts about your brother, Rachel, you could buy yourself a ghostly <laughs> maker with that. <laughs> I'll just carry on. Detective Inspector Hicks of Surrey Police was quoted saying this at the time of the appeal. People out there know who killed Karen Reed, whether it's the individual who pulled the trigger or those who were assigned to arrange this contract killing. It's time for them to come forward. Karen was an innocent young woman who was loved by those who knew her, worked hard and had no previous involvement in criminal activity. She worked in Adelston as a geophysicist and was enjoying a glass of wine with her friend when she was brutally murdered. We strongly believe that this murder was a case of mistaken identity and a contract killing which went wrong. Those who were out there and know what happened may feel more comfortable in coming forward with information due to certain loyalties and relationships breaking down over time. It's time for those people to do the right thing and help us. Now, to me, Rachel, this sounds like the clutching of straws, as and I think this crime is going to stay unresolved. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think when it's contract killing, the people that kill just treat it as their job. 
like, so they're not going to go and talk to anyone about it. Like, yeah. you get stupid criminals over time that have been chatting in the pub about, you know, some woman they they murdered once upon a time or something like that. But you're never going to get a contract killer doing that. And the people that had the sister killed are probably embarrassed or frustrated that they didn't get the, that the the killing went wrong. So they're not going to talk about it either. So I agree exactly. with you. And I think a couple of things. If you're a contract killer, you're probably going to get paid more than ten thousand pounds to do it anyway. I'd imagine. <laughs> I don't know what the going rate is, but it's probably more than that. And like, if it must be a pretty dangerous job. Twenty-seven years later, I'd be surprised if if they're still alive. Well, yeah, that too. Because um, you know, especially if if a killing goes wrong, or you know or you get discovered or something, your your neck's going to be on the line, isn't it? But I still firmly believe she should have just taken the pizza and closed the door on the guy. That's it. Yeah. What have we? What lesson have we learned today? Thanks for the pizza. See you later. <laughs> yes, indeed. Although, yes. Um, so for one last time today, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. It's a Saturday evening and you're spending time catching up with a close friend when a door goes and you get able to answer it without a second thought. What's waiting for you on the other side? So, before I get into my wrap-up line, I know we've laughed and joked, but obviously we're not laughing at the victim here. It's so sad what happened to Karen. It's just um, it's just one of those days, I feel. So, uh, how was that for you, Rach? Was there any final thoughts? Do you know what I would say? I completely agree with you adding that comment there because it sounds like we've been really disrespectful to the victim and her family today. And that's not the case at all. It And when I listen to other podcasts that do this, I'm like, yeah, it, it was funny. It was humorous. But at the end of the day, someone has died. Um, so I completely um, just want to echo exactly what you just said and also say that that was a really interesting case because ordinarily when cases aren't solved I don't really like hearing about them but this one was interesting and the way it unfolded with the backstory about the sister and the mistaken identity I almost feel that you've ticked a box with it being a contract killing you can kind of get over it there's not some random murderer on the loose does that make yeah. sense no that makes perfect sense and yeah no we always have respect for the the victims actually one person i also i didn't mention in the story i'll mention it now was karen's dad karen and Anderson's dad he was a prominent um lecturer at university i forget which one now and he was quite well known in his field and basically he didn't go into the witness protection program but he very quickly just dropped off the scene after what happened because he lost two daughters he lost one to death and one that had to go into hiding that. I believe in the British Witness Protection Programme, they allow one visit a year with your family, um, at which they arrange, the police arrange. So imagine that you lost, lost one daughter to death, and the only person, because the mother wasn't around anymore, the only person that you can console with, you can't because they've wished her off into hiding. Uh, so he is the ultimate victim here, aside from Karen herself, because... He's lost his remaining family. It's just it's really sad. so sad. So, thank you, everyone, 
for listening and good night and God bless.